So thank you, everybody. Once again, we have a nice, uh, nice good turnout. Great group. I mean, I, I think it's a great, great panel. Again, I, I appreciate everybody kind of dedicating their time and, and, and energy uh, towards this. So, um, you know, real quickly, we'll, we'll, we'll go through here at the end here. Todd Leonard, he is uh, currently Vice President of Operations and Franchise Development for Executive Care. It's a home health care franchise out of Hackensack, New Jersey. Uh, fellow CFE, Todd's been involved in franchising for over 18 years. Roles in operations and marketing and development for such brands as 7-Eleven, Weikert, and Ascendant. And, uh, of course, his coolest job was the year he spent with the NFL. Although not on the field, right? No. <laughs> um, and so thank you. Thanks, Todd, for joining us. And uh, Mark Stenke is a franchisee and professional trainer and speaker for Focal Point Business Coaching, obviously relative um, to our topic today. Prior to his ownership in the franchise, uh, Mark spent two decades in various roles at some of the world's largest companies, primarily focused on recruitment and, uh, and talent acquisition. So as a professional trainer and recruiter, uh, Mark obviously has decades of experience in kind of vetting professionals and, and matching them to their roles. So lucky to have him on the panel. Next to me, Don Welsh. Uh, in addition to his role as an area developer and multi-unit Sonic franchisee, uh, Don runs a private equity investment fund focused on assisting small market companies such as emerging franchisors and multi-unit franchisees. So uh, Don will help these emerging companies with infrastructure and financing and, and, and coaching and mentorship. Don's a lifelong entrepreneur. He's built and sold multiple technology companies sort of prior to the franchising space, including Freedom Pay and Aspion Solutions, which was application service companies, I think serving food service clients like McDonald's and Dunkin' Donuts and, and Popeyes and others. So Don, thanks again for, for joining us and, and being here. So our topic today, is helping franchisees move from owning a job to owning a business. I see Mark has the e-myth, if anybody's read that. I've even read the e-myth for lawyers. It's a struggle, I think, with professionals and certainly with franchisees of, you know, you get so tied down and bogged down into the day-to-day -day focus on your business. How do you, you know, how do you turn that around? So, uh, as always, we're, we do this as kind of a question and answer session. We spent some time yesterday sort of going through some stuff, but this is an open discussion. So, as people have questions, please just kind of shout it out, or if you want to kind of contribute to the conversation, I may repeat your question so that the, the camera picks it up. So, I'll, I'll start off. Todd, I'll, I'll start down there. We were kind of talking yesterday about succession planning um, and how franchisees are thinking about business differently. Um, and have you seen the shift in sort of messaging and franchisor shifting towards a business versus a job? Sure. So one of the things that we've really started to see as a shift is folks are thinking more long-term. Jobs today seem to be a short-term solution. Ultimately, people are looking for something that is, has legacy potential. So part as a franchisor, you really have to step forward and start working from day one when you're recruiting a franchisee to really truly understand what their long-term vision and long-term goals are. How they structure their organization, how they plan their organization from day one really is gonna dictate what they're doing year 10 or potentially year 20. So you start to see people want that, that sense of stability that they can't find in the job market today. So building something that they can potentially pass on or be part of for 20, 30 years is what they really are looking for today. That's good, and kind of a segue to that, we were, we were talking yesterday, Mark, about you know, that's sort of the success in the program of how you do that. Um, you had mentioned about a study with the SBA, you know, the top reasons why franchisees fail. Um, could you kind of speak yeah, towards yeah. that? The, uh, the number one reason out of the David Letterman top 10. That's it, roll on, on why On why franchise fails is lack of business skills. In the end, it's a business with a franchise model behind it. Too many of us get sucked into the concept of, well, the franchise model will take care of everything. I just have to show up and it says to do A and then B and then I'll do C, when in reality, you have to make a business decisions. You have to have business skills, business principles, business ideas. I mean, look what's happened to companies like McDonald's today. And look what happened to companies like Borders Bookstore today. It's all because of business. So it's the individual skills the individual beyond skills the skills of the person. The, the owner of the, of the franchisee has to have business skills and put in business practices. Interesting. Um, Don, and your take on that kind of as an opening question of Sure. what franchisees need to do. We were talking about working capital and people yeah. don't plan to make it a business. They don't think that all the way through beyond what's mentioned in the FDD. Well, I think, you know, people want the results, but they don't understand the process. And kind of building off what we were talking about yesterday, people want to get into business, but they really don't know what that means. They want to get into a franchise. They go through that due diligence process and they start focusing on the unit 
the location. But what's their goal and vision? I want a legacy, I want to have three, five, ten, these empire builders, these investors. But what they start focusing on is what does it cost me to get this one done? And what they don't understand is they really need to capitalize their company. And too often things either in the macro economic environment or even in the micro economic environment, they change and they don't have the resources to adequately address that hit to cash flow. And what you see is with the lack of business skills, poor decisions get made. They start cutting costs, cut labor, service goes down, and they end up getting into this ever tighter concentric circle until they limit their options. So really cash in a business is about creating options and flexibility. So if we can help focus business owners, franchisees, into capitalizing their companies better from the start, we'll have more options and flexibility downstream. Unfortunately, the financial markets don't offer working capital loans like they used to in the past. So access to capital post-opening, post-funding is difficult. So really getting a handle on what it takes to capitalize a company to achieve your goals is critical. And do you think, and I'll just throw this out there, I just thought of this, do you think that's something a franchisor can do in their FDD where sometimes the franchise sales and development people, they want the investment number to be low, as low as possible to keep people excited about buying it, but maybe that's doing a disservice. Yeah, I think the, the challenge is, of course, we want that barrier of entry to be accessible to the masses as a developer. You want to say, I want the ability to have 150 people look at my brand and I pick who I want, so I want to make it accessible. But what ends up happening is you have franchisees that get, for lack of a better term, disenfranchised very early in the process when the numbers don't match up. So being conservative on the operating capital, we disclose operating capital for our absentee owners when we disclose an owner operator as well. So they can get an understanding of what they can look to spend in that business for the first three to six months from a, re a realistic perspective. I would much rather have them come back to me and say, wow, I spent less than I expected to, than even a dollar more than they expected to. It just continues your credibility as an organization. If you make that big misstep in the beginning, it's gonna follow that relationship for the entire term. It's a question coming in from the outside, <laughs> watching our webcam. Uh, <laughs> any questions actually? Other, because I could, I could keep going here. As I will. All right, good. So as you think of your questions, um, you guys, we had made that comment about um, thinking about it. And for franchisors, this might be a difficult concept. But I think I forget which one of you had said this about being a business owner first and a franchisee second. Yeah, I, I made that comment. I think fran franchisors do themselves a disservice. And I'll step into it right now. Okay? <laughs> they do themselves a disservice by, by selling a franchisee to someone and not having that person be skilled up in how to run a business. It usually falls on what? Here, read a book. With great books. These, these are fantastic books, and you should read them. And, but how many people can take this book and implement into their specific business the practices it teaches? Yeah, you maybe. Congratulations. <laughs> one out of 100. I'm still trying. One out of 100, OK? Why not put apart part of the capital requirements, 20 grand, 25 grand a year, and get yourself someone who's going to work next to you and get this done? Because success just quadruples, six, six-fold even, if you can do that. So I really think franchisors do them to sell this uh, service by not realizing it's a business first and a franchise second. Yeah, I, I can tell you what, some of the things that are happening with franchisors, and I think it's interesting that successful dialogue sometimes looks like this with a franchisor. You have field consultants out there. And what are field consultants typically focused on? Training, P&L. They're reinforcing that kind of narrow view. But if you can take a franchisor out and say, listen, wait a minute, does it make sense to maybe have one less franchise field consultant and have a true business consultant? And when you start to get that alignment with the franchisor, or at least coach up those franchise field consultants, I'm a franchisee and I work with franchisors, to start to have those dialogues you can start to avoid some of those pitfalls that franchisees, uh, franchisees encounter. And one of the most stressful one is when the franchisee's hiding results from the franchisor. Mm -hmm. 
and then you get that typical tension. That never happens. Never happens. <laughs> so transparency and transparency and having that discussion up front, right, where we're aligning the risks and rewards, and by understanding that that cash, that cash is king, can really deal with, can really address a lot of that tension, and can stop the bleed from franchisees closing. We all know that the third guy in and a franchisee that's failing is gonna be the most successful, right? Used to be the second guy in, now we're talking about the third guy in. Pennies on the dollar, I got this, pennies on the dollar. And unfortunately, you're seeing this business emerge where you're getting brokers and other companies that are specializing in transfers, in transfers. So I think if we address this up front, we can really stem the tide. We all talk about continuity, right? What's your continuity? How many did you close? How many did you open? That net, what's the net? It's a numerator and denominator type of effect. Maybe we can deal with the closings, right? You don't need as much energy on the lead gen side and signing up new folks. And the franchisor's economics get really bright fast. So I, I really like the point you guys made about being a franchisor is really about running a business, not necessarily running the business you're franchising. But for emerging franchisors, who are maybe really good at operationally running their business at the day-to-day -day level. Do you have any schooling or training you recommend to make sure that they know how to run an actual business versus just running a franchise? Best thing to do uh, during the vetting process or even is, is do some assessments, right? There's, there's TTI has a ton of assessments you can use to, to ascertain business skills. The basic business skills of someone. Like, you know, first of all, even if you have a franchise or who, and someone who buys their franchise, that franchisee still needs to have their own vision, mission, purpose, and value system created so they know what they're gonna do and how they're gonna drive it and how they're gonna operate it, right? Then they need to figure out who their ideal client is. I mean, I'll give you a prime example. Franchise I bought, they say their ideal client is, is a business owner that goes from zero to 20 million in revenue. I can promise you, the type of coaching that I would do, I'll never get a 10 to 20 million dollar revenue person to do it, but I'll get a thousand, one million to 10 million clients to do it. So I had to define my business that I'm not going after that 10 to 20 million people, person. Yet, I have people under my territory who's got that pipe dream and think they're gonna go after that, when in reality, maybe the training or the uh, assessment selling is that area. But I, I would look at TTI for assessments to do that and figure out how that, and then quite honestly, um, <laughs> business has uh, five components. Marketing, sales, operations, administration, and customer support. Use a behavioral interviewing technique and figure out what do they know in each of those five areas. If, you, if they can give you a good answer, you got a good start. That's very helpful, but I was actually asking from the franchisor's perspective yep. okay. to learn how to, to manage and run the business and economics of being a franchisor, managing the franchisees. So I think a lot of, from a franchisor perspective, is do, A, don't lose sight of what got you to the point where you're considering franchising. What business skills, what things did you bring to the table? but also looking at who's your ideal candidate? What type of franchisee are you looking for? And what type of skills might they be weaker in and stronger in? Uh, we're a home healthcare company, so initially, the bulk of our franchise candidates are kind, caring, sweet people that don't know a damn thing about business. <laughs> so from our perspective, we had to beef up our business support. Um, the gentleman that heads, heads, is under me in operations is a Wall Street guy. And he walks through them the first six months of operations every single month, their full P&L, and explains to them what contributes each line item on their P&L. We all say, oh, we review a P&L. Everybody nods their head and says, this is good, this is bad. But in reality, does it, do, do they truly understand what contributes to those line items to make them successful or things that are costing them? And also to understand what things can be delegated in, within a team, who they should hire, who can augment a franchisee in the business, so what does the, the corporate structure for their location look like? You know, do you need somebody that's strong in marketing? Well, if you find a franchisee that doesn't have that skill set, have them create, have a position in their organization that they can funnel that over to. So you can build a team culture and a team that's gonna support the business versus trying to find somebody with such a rare and unique skill set that can be a great marketer, can be a great business person, because one of those things is always gonna struggle unless they can outsource it or bring somebody into their team to do it. Don, any thoughts on emerging franchisors getting the kind of training or skill or support? Yeah, I mean, I, kind of what's going off in my mind is the concept of tipping points, 
right? So when you do your own business plan and you look at launching your business, what are those tipping points that you're going to encounter? And I don't know what your business necessarily is, but as you roll out your model, as you aggregate and start selling territories, density becomes a factor. You have franchisees like this, the support, right? So, I mean, your, your economics are based on, right, license agreements and royalties. But as you go through your, your growth curve, you're going to encounter different tipping points. And, and there's a lot of books out there that describe this, but I would, I would suggest to you to really get a good handle because your ability to go cash flow positive as a franchisor is where you're going to encounter the same issues that we talk about franchisees. And, you know, you see them in some industries, it's like 30 to 50. Next one's at 150. Usually it's around 300 plus that you start getting some breathing room where you have some flexibility. But I think the franchisors need to have the same kind of capital planning that franchisees, you know, need to have. So it's really understanding those breakpoints and tipping points in your model or your business. Great, great question. Great, great discussion. Other, uh, any other questions? As we keep, as we keep moving here. Um, so, on that note, do you feel too many franchisors have kind of a paint by the numbers? I'm now a franchisor, so I'm just going to get my franchisee to do that. You know, do you, do you, do you feel that? I do. Um, you know, I've been with a bunch of different brands, and one of the things that, you know, kind of, kind of what we mentioned earlier is. We focus way too much on purely an operations manual. This is how our system works. This is how we built it. This is how you have to execute it. Go do it. We don't take enough time and take into account often the person and the people that are going to be doing that and how that needs to be structured for not just today, but as you grow so that you can be that true business coach and that support for a franchisee. We tend to sometimes loop in, in franchising support as reactive. They called in, something didn't work, we fixed it. Versus that proactive and say, you know, you're getting close to a point where you need to add a layer in your organization. This is our, you know, a recommendation. Some of our other franchisees have been successful by doing X, Y, and Z. Maybe you need to talk to them. You leverage your top performing franchisees as well to help some of those that maybe don't see that big picture or see that big vision. And, you know, unfortunately in reality too is some people, you have to understand, just aren't right for your organization as they grow they hit a point where they can't go any further. So if you can't coach them along, those are the folks that you're gonna to try to hopefully move out or help them find or find a better person to take over that business and let them cash in and move on to something different. The business typically runs on an MPPT, right? A model methodology, process, people, and technology. Model methodology, process, people, and technology. But you need business decisions to make that model methodology, process, and technology work, right? Too many of us default to one of those areas hey, the franchisor system tells me how to do the processes and the technology. They tell me who to hire. Well, maybe it's not time to hire for you. Maybe it is. What's the business triggers you're going to use to make that decision? When you do need that, that layer of management, okay? Sure, the franchisor says typically this is the case. Is that the case for you? What's the trigger specifically doing in your case and does that make sense? Those are business conversations and business decisions first before you do this operation manual stuff. And that's what I think lacks in, in a lot of it. And how do you deal with it when the franchise, when the model itself is a very hands-on model? That the franchisee itself is the person who is supposed to be out there and doing the work. Um, how, do you, how do you balance that to try to get that franchisee kind of out of the weeds? Well, one of the biggest things I try to work with people on is figure out how to work on your business, not in your business. Okay? So the answer there is what needs to get done, and let's determine, again, a model, a process, a technology that can do it, or do we need people? Let's come up with the plan and the, and the solution to make it work, and then figure out the actions behind it to make that work. A lot of times it's a transition. I have to do this for a period of time, but am I going to answer the phone or be a receptionist all the time? Probably not. So what are your triggers to say get out of that work? Your hourly rate? Things that are not getting done because you should be doing other things? What are you using to make those trigger decisions to start building that out of there? And you really have to think about that and drive it and do it. And it's a very methodical process, a business plan. And the big question, because we have franchisees in the room and franchisors in the room, Don, who, whose responsibility is that? I think, it's, I think it's both. I think when franchisors recruit franchisees, sometimes you hear, 
I want these MUDAs, these multi-unit development people, five packs, 10 packs. And you know, generally, you know, those people might have better capitalization, be more sophisticated and have infrastructure. When those people go in the weeds, that's a red flag. Something's broken. And then I think, as my colleague said, there's a lot of practices the franchisors can bring to the table to help them get out of the weeds. But also, sometimes franchisors like to you know, recruit single operators, you know, the person behind the chair. And that's a model, too. So you know, I think when a franchisor is planning how it wants to build their business, their footprint, a lot of care has to go along with that. If I were sitting in a franchisor's seat, I certainly want, wouldn't want nothing but investors and empire builders. And I certainly wouldn't want just a whole rack of single operated operators. I'd want to blend. So I think you know, once you've kind of reduced or deduced how you want to approach growing your franchise business, you then can address, you then can address the training and the processes of when you see those issues arise and effectively jump in and get that person redirected. Some people love to be single. You know, I consult for a brand and there's a, an individual. It's a brand that has an AUV of about $350,000. This one individual is doing 1.1 million. As a venture capital guy, a P guy, I say, wow, that's incredible. I know that that unit, that system, that concept has a max ability to do 1-1. One, one. Well, why are the AUVs 350? And what did this guy do to get to a million one? Well, he only has one unit. And I asked him, I said, why don't you have five? And he said, well, if I had five, I wouldn't be doing 1-1. One, one. Now, that's a perspective. That's his prerogative. It's a perspective and a prerogative. But if you go in and have those dialogues or go through that thought process, I think you can start to see how you would build a franchisor, bring in those processes and policies and systems to address the flags. When somebody that's big that goes small, and the challenge of somebody small trying to get big. Well, we used to say sometimes, you know, yeah, you go from a really great single unit operator mm -hmm. to a really bad two unit operator. Yeah. You, you end up losing both. And, and I think a lot of franchisors certainly happen to to a lot of people I know, they don't have a different training program. So I would ask that question. As you talk about this, moving from franchisees, from owning a job to a business, going from that single operator, is that a, you sort of made a, a good statement, Don, about saying that the business coaches themselves should be sort of up, up trained. I forget the terminologies, but I liked it. Coached up. Uh, coached up. Um, coached up to that. Do you also envision maybe some larger franchisors they should have two different coaches. You know, it's a different business coach to the single unit and a different business coach. Curious as to your thoughts. I, th I think a lot of, we look at this in terms of geography, right? And I think there's more dichotomies to business than geography. You could have the one person doing 1-1 one, one, and you could have a lot of people doing 350. So geography is definitely a component in supporting the system, but it's a lot more multifaceted than just that. And I think also in today's world, we never had the macroeconomic pressures on our industry like we did today. We have Obamacare. We have data security. We have all kinds of things that are pressuring franchisors that systemically have to be addressed centrally. But that's really not the franchising model. I believe it puts a lot of pressure on the field consultants to adequately address some of those concerns. One of the things that we constantly hear, just to kind of underline it, is I don't want to grow because I don't want to deal with Obamacare. Well, is that fact or fiction? You know, you see in Reed where Dairy Queen got hacked because somebody got into their credit card terminal. It doesn't say Don's Dairy Queen, it says somebody else's there. It, it hurts the brand. These are all things that we never had to deal with before. So I, I think there's a lot of dichotomies and a lot of issues that face franchisors in industries that really are going to put pressure on that field consultant. So I agree, yes. And when you have a large franchisee, they could be very susceptible to some of these issues. The smaller guys looking to get big, they see that, right? We all know that franchise organizations are what? Very grapevine oriented. If the big guys are struggling, if they're, you know, they're having issues, small guys just stop. They just stop. Go ahead, I think uh, part of the dichotomy as well is the fact that you'll, uh, you'll have franchisees that have come to place at a certain level of revenue. They just don't want to get past that level of revenue, no matter what you do and what you say, and how much screening you do on the front end doesn't really matter because you don't know when that complacency issue is going to kick in. And they're going to say, well, I'm making a million, I'm netting uh, 100 grand, whatever, myself. 
and I'm done. I'm out. So I know that's an issue too. So I don't know how to motivate those people to pass that complacency because they're golfing for three days a week and they're happy. Yeah, you know, one of the things that I was taught when I was coming up in business was grow or die. And, you know, the guy might be golfing today, but he might be the caddy in five years. And if you don't grow your business in some systemic way, it won't be there. We all know this. And I, I, I absolutely 100% agree with you that that's the issue. I think it's creating awareness around business to understand that if you stand still, you will get hit. If you do not grow, you will not be there. You can certainly build incentives into the FDB in terms of you know, revenue. Development agreements and all those things are great, you know, but they're hard to enforce and they're, they're problematic. But I, I think you know, getting back to understanding and that planning to begin with, you know, when you sell a five pack or three, and everybody has their own lexicon, is that really the end goal? Is it five? Mm -hmm. Right, is, is five the end goal? There's consolidation that takes place, there's transfers. You want a quick way of figuring that out is figure out their primary aim. Each individual's primary aim is going to dictate that answer for you. Do I want to be this or that? My primary aim is for my business to support my life, not my life to support my business. Well, I hear I that kind of language, all of a sudden I'm thinking, oh, you don't want a 10 units, 20 units. I like to turn those folks, if, if they can afford to be on a golf course, I love to turn those successful franchisees into training locations. Perfect, perfect. Oh, that's perfect that's the first that. thing that I Absolutely. try to do them is I try them to become lighthouses perfect. or beacons. Yep. So, but the point is I want them contributing in this system. They may not be contributing by building, but I want them building the brand and offering you know their strategies that they use to make their business. Building the builders. Exactly. They do a, that's a pretty good they validator. Have, they have to contribute. Everybody has to contribute. Great answer. High tide lifts all boats. They have to contribute. And I think we should think about that. I think we should think about how we put that into our agreements and how we Great create answer. culture, right? Great and I think a lot of that also, too, is the, the skill set and the ability of your field team. You know, who's out interacting with that franchisee on a daily basis? What's their motivation? Do they truly understand what drives that person? The other side of that is, if it's a well-run organization that he can step away for three days a week, there's somebody in that organization that's motivated to keep it going. So how are you interacting with them? You know, it sounds silly to say, but is there that carrot that maybe his great manager someday can own another location or do something internally that'll motivate them? So really, and part of it we were talking about earlier is, we all love selling multi-unit deals. It makes us happy. You know, we like checks. That works. But how deep do we look at their infrastructure planning before we sign them? So you want to build an organization of five units. What is your structure going to look like? I'm not going to tell you what your structure needs to look like. You bring to the table to me what your plan is for hiring, your staffing. Are you going to have your own district manager that's going to oversee those five locations so my organization doesn't get taxed and stressed even more because I'm now managing your managers. So asking those questions and those thought-provoking conversations because somebody that's coming in that wants that many units, it's not just about capitalization today. It's about capitalization down the road and their vision to grow and how does their organization look? Because at the end of the day, you put a guy that's doing $2 million a unit, has five locations, guess what? He's gonna become the loudest voice in the room at every franchise conference you go to. So. How did he do it? If he says, I did it on a wing and a prayer, your other franchisees are not going to listen to a, a word that you say because they said, oh, he, he didn't pay attention and this is how he got it done. They become the one that they go to, the sounding board. But when they do it right, people are going to mimic that and want to do it themselves. Great, great, great comments. So go back to what you did. Let's say the margins are so small that it doesn't make sense Say to repeat the question is that if you struggle with margins, that it's a business that you have to be an owner operator. How would you? I would argue that pricing up prices yourself out of the market. Okay, people don't buy in price. It's an issue, but they don't buy on price. They buy on value, and they buy on differentiation. How can you differentiate yourself from people, and then are you easy to do business with? And that's the first thing. So if you're going to do that, you can be Walmart, sell a million of a penny, or you can be Neiman Marcus. 
than one, one in a million. What's your strategy? What's your actions? And what are your plans to do that? That's what that takes. You could do both. Which one do you want and how do you want to drive it? Well, you want a mix of the two. That's fine also. But I, but I really think price is not the driver of, of, of that decision. I think that's one of the components, but it's probably three or four in my, in my view. One of the clients I work with today had that issue. First thing we did is raise prices 10%. Not one customer complained out of 2,000, not one, because they saw value in what she provided them. So I would challenge that. Great. Great advice. Are you, are you talking more from a buying a franchise perspective or as from the consumer side? So as, as an owner to say, I'm not making enough money to put somebody in that place. Is that, is that where you were? Yeah, exactly. So I think, margin, again, margin yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of it really looks, you know, as a franchisor, you've got to look in the mirror and say, you know, what is your average franchisee going to be and what is the threshold for success and profitability? If it's going to take somebody five to ten units to actually step away from the business, you got to really examine your model if it's right. You know, if, if that's really what the, the point for entry and the point for success is, okay, I have a vision that I'm going to get empire builders. Well, your, your best empire builder is not going to want to be, you know, knuckles deep in the work. So you really have to look at how your model is structured. If after five units somebody's not profitable enough to step out, your business, your, for lack of a better term, your model sucks. But you shouldn't be franchising. Um, know, a, the, a good question on that, though, is that if you can do one of two things, right? You can either work your way into that position or you can spend your way. One of you guys had made the comment about, you know, uh, scared money doesn't make money. Right. So yep. it's kind of like if you're not going to be in the business, then you have to invest in the infrastructure and give it a year, two years, three years. If it's, you know, so. And I, I, I personally think the owner-operator model is going to die. At some point, it's going to see it's it's going to breathe its last breath because all the candidates today want something that they have options. The buyers today want options. They don't want to be locked into day to day for the rest of their lives. There's still quite a few blue collar workers out there that that's what they're driving for and that's what they want. But that you can't you don't want to have a franchisee that is the heart and soul of your franchise because that's something's going to change. You know, accidents happen, things change. If they're the face of your business and really why people are using your product and using your business, you have to look at your product and your business. You know, you want to have the ability that somebody else can step in and do the same job or have the ability to still run that business should ownership change or should things change at the top. So you really want to have a, a system that's flexible enough that it can, it, it can survive if there's a change in, in that franchise person's organization. I'd like to understand the question. Are you saying if the business was high margin and went down to low margins yeah. or it's a beginning of low margin business. Low margin, is it systemic or is it just unit based? Because if it's well, systemic, yeah, if it's systemic then I think you've got to look at either, you know, marketing technology. You're gonna have to either look there's only two things you can do, right? grow the top line or shrink costs, you know, so, you know, without a specific business, I mean, that's where you got to really go to. And if it's systemic, you hope that the OR has pulled together the best and the brightest to address that systemically, right? It could be a change. You know, so my background would be hospitality, retail, food. You know, you, you sell air, right? What's air? Ice cream is 50% air, sugar water, right? All bad things today. but. You, know, you start looking for a mix of revenues, right? On the cost side, you look at packaging and you look at other products. You know, so you get into that kind of discussion and, the, and it may be just transitioning the business out of its core. You know, you see a lot of businesses that maybe started, I was talking to one about the other day, the battery business, it's not battery and bulbs. And, you know, you might have to start transitioning into other lines in order to get that aggregated margin. But, you know, if that's a trend line, you, you got to jump on that one fast. Uh, today's world, it can, change like that, but it's a great question. That business principle is called the sigmoid curve. Yep. You have to figure out where are you on that curve, yeah. and if you're on that top end of that curve, like Borders Bookstore was, and you don't do things, you end up on this side of it. And that's the business principle you've got to put in place, exactly what Don was saying. And I think as a franchisor, too, you have to take the time. Um, <clears throat> my team, we talk every Monday morning. 
unit economics for the previous week for all our locations, our top and bottom guys. We have to fully understand the unit economics because that's what's driving the decisions of the franchisee. You know, if his unit economics aren't there, he's going to start pulling back. He's going to start cutting back. He's going to, and where does it usually go first? Marketing. I'm not going to market anymore. It's too much money to buy people lunch. Or I'm going to take my marketer and cut him back to 25 hours a week. So the more you understand that, the more you can step in and have those conversations before they make those moves. Or if they are making those moves, you have the understanding of what's behind it. It's not a compliance issue. It's not, it's a scared issue sometimes. And you have to under, reassess and understand is what is their primary motivator? And a lot of times it is money, but what is causing that, their unit economics to struggle? Is it non-compliance? Is it something in their marketplace? You know, as a franchisor, sometimes you gotta get your butt on a plane and go down there and spend time in their market and see what, what am I missing here? The model's great, they're executing, something's just not working out. So understanding the unit economics for every location is, is really critical as a, as a franchise operator. And, and do you, understanding those unit economics, and you know, not to be specific, but there's some businesses that take a long time that you know, they're, they have really good retention rates or that, I'm guessing in, you know, mm -hmm. in the healthcare business and that, it's, but it probably takes, but there's such a barrier to entry of just time, is that coaching and how do you coach those franchisees to say, keep spending money now, mm -hmm. even though you're not actually gonna see that money for two years, that must be a hard conversation. It is, it's a lot of times it's setting expectations up front and showing them KPIs. What have your other locations done? And try to, I try to mix similar personalities or sim, similar marketplaces so they can see the growth curve of, of those locations. But as a franchisor, just to give you an example of what we did, our business takes a little bit more time to ramp up. There's a lot of organic growth that's required from constant marketing efforts. We've outsourced and found some third parties that can provide our, our franchisees clients sooner. And it's at a cost to us, but you know what happens? We're usually looking at a 30 to 60 day acquisition cycle to get their first client previously. We've cut that down to 14 days. Guess what? Over 60 days sitting in a location with your phone not ringing, after you've just spent six figures on a business, your training, gone. They don't remember a darn thing they learned in training. And they're calling, calling your office or they're calling the franchise broker that they worked with. What did I get myself into? So their confidence is shot. And then that first client comes in. And the third calls to us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> or, or second. They, the, you know, their confidence is shot. So when they finally get that opportunity to get a client, they're, they're already mentally gone. So how well are they gonna convert all that hard work after they've already been kind of depressed and upset? You know, their wife, is, or wife or husband is asking them, what did you do with our life savings? Why did you do this? I told you this was a bad idea. Everybody they talk to that says, how's that business going? They put their heads down. It's not good for your brand. So sometimes you have to invest a little bit more upfront to help your franchisees get started a little quicker. And that momentum is really what's gonna carry them through. Great stuff. Questions? And then how do you manage that in, in, in validation, I guess? You know, when you're talking about that, are you a business owner or a job? I mean, uh, you know, to Matt's question, you know, that, that guy's still probably a pretty good validator who's doing a million bucks in three days on the, on the <laughs> golf course, but yet that validation they can have a- answer his phone because he's on the golf course. Right, <laughs> that, but then that can have a backwards effect because then mm -hmm. you have the people thinking, oh, well, I want to get there, not recognizing maybe that person's four years into the business and, and has put the systems in place. So how do you deal with that for validation? Anybody? Well, I think, you know, I think with validation, it's always, always challenging. It depends on the day that they call, what happened five minutes before the phone rang. Um, but really a lot of it is, is just, you know, having a franchise base. And I, I talk to candidates before they call up. You try to help them understand what questions they really want the answers to. Um, they're gonna talk to, you know, your scale. Typically they're gonna look at your top and your bottom. And if your bottom is, is doing okay and they're happy, you have nothing to worry about. Your top guy, you're just hoping they fall into the middle somewhere. So they're gonna take both with a grain. Um, you know, it is a great, sometimes as you said, is a guy that's been in there five years that can step away from the business, that's a tremendous validator. The guy that's been in it for five years and is still, you know, scooping ice cream, that's probably not a good validator if you have a candidate that wants to step away. Um, and that's where I see on our side is some of our more involved owner operators scare franchisees more than the guy that takes a little bit of time off. Is that, geez, you know, this is his plan, this is his dream is to work in it day to day. And that, there's nothing wrong with that, that's great. 
But when you have that guy that wants to build, or girl that wants to build an empire, they have that phone conversation. They say, geez, this guy's working in this for five years. He's still doing all the day-to-day -day stuff. I don't know if I want that for me. So you really have to prep them and, and have those conversations. I'd be curious, <clears throat> I'd like to share just a conversation I had recently. Because I, I really don't understand the concept of validation from a franchisee's perspective. So I had this conversation with this uh, candidate. Uh, somehow I got on my radar and he said, Don, would you talk to him? I said, sure. So, you know, this person was very analytical. I, I think he was an accountant and an engineer. Oh, man, like, what a crazy, <laughs> like, I felt like I was like, you know, Perry Mason, third degree. It's just like, you know, all these questions and where do I put the drain and this and that. So finally I said to him, I said, geez, I said, you know, there's this brand, this brand that we were talking about, you know, top end was 800,000 bucks, right? And I think the AUVs were like 250 or something. And so this guy's tearing apart every shred of the 19, everything. And I said, look, at the end of the day, right? Brand, same service, same look and feel, same everything, right? So you got it, right? So there's a, I don't know, a McDonald's, right? This McDonald's, that McDonald's, same everything. They sell Big Macs, they sell fries, they sell real estate, right? Two things. Everything else is the same. What's different? What's different? The, the, the owner, right? The, the owner runs the business. The owner picked the real estate. So what are you really validating? Are you validating your ability to really do what you want to do? Or are you really validating the brand? So I have this kind of warped view of validation. I, I don't know what a true entrepreneur, and maybe I'm just way off to the left or right, depending on how you look at it, but I just don't really understand the concept of validation. If you're getting into a system and a brand and the brand has good fundamentals, i.e. it's selling something to consumers, one, there's a value proposition, I think I'm really validating my belief that I can come into your system, I can operate your playbook and your brand, and I can pick the right real estate, and I'm coachable. And if I do those things, right, the promise is if I do those things, I should be able to make a shit ton of money. But I'm not validating what Jim does or what Sally does. I think I'm validating my ability. So, you know, I like to put that mirror up to somebody and say, I, I really don't understand the question. Are we questioning the brand's ability to exercise on its value proposition or your ability to run it? So I share that with you because I don't know the answer. But more and more, that's kind of my answer when you get engineers and accountants, because they're crazy. Well, it, it no offense to engineers and accountants. <laughs> or the combo of the two. We're but, lawyers. But I, but I think that's right. No, over analysis paralysis. I mean, we've had many clients, and you know, they, just, they get too bogged down. But I think that's a really good point that comes down to, I think, a point we talked about earlier, is are you a business owner first or a franchisee first? And I think... That might scare some franchisors because they want absolute, you know, strict compliance as franchisees first. But I think the answer is I, not that. I would challenge that. I would encourage franchisors to come up with their solution to make it a business first for the right. franchisee. Help them grasp the concept that they need their primary aim defined. They need their business defined. They need to understand what business are they going to be in. And then, oh yeah, I got this cool stuff to use to drive that. That, I agree with Don. That's the, that's the validation that I, that I do to anybody coming into the territory I have. I, I could give a rat's you know what about them talking about the bits and bytes of what the system does. Tell me why you're doing this and why should you and what's your drivers and what's happening here and how do you make decisions when this happens? How do you make decisions when that happens? I want to know their business skills. How many, how many bankers do we have here or people that help people secure lending, right? Okay, so we work with a lot of banks. So most banks want what? You want the SBA app, your bank app, right? You want the 4506 t the 1919, right? Am I saying things that are making you go like, uh, you know, right? You, you want the three years tax returns, right? You want the P&Ls, right? If they own a business. And you want all this, well, most banks, I think all banks, don't, don't you want a business plan? Mm -hmm. don't, don't you want a pro forma? Operating model. Right, so it's very interesting when you start looking at the bank perspective, right? So here's the bank, right, the evil bank, sitting there, standing up your business. They're asking all the right questions, financially. They wanna know who the person is, right? What have they been doing for the last three years? How much money they have? Do you have a plan, right? Because I wanna get repaid, and the bank is really a partner, right? I tell franchisees, the bank's your partner. They're, they're, they're bringing, the bank's very happy. They're bringing 85, <laughs> well, it's the truth. They're bringing 85% of the money to the table, right? So they want to know the person's resume, right? I got to fill out resume, right? I have to give a resume, work history. And I want a business plan. I don't know whether the banks read them or not, 
But I know in our part of the process, we absolutely mandate a very well thought out business plan and a pro forma. And I can't tell you how many times that people that come in to a franchise organization ask me this, how do I do a business plan? How do I do a pro forma? And you know what, there's no really good answers. What do you tell them, Google it? Yeah. <laughs> Google it. So I think you know, when you get back to the franchisor side responsibility, and we talked about this, we offer templates. Here's what a business plan looks like. Here's what a pro forma looks like. Most banks want the first year to have monthly data. Why? Because that's cash flow break even. And a lot of banks will actually offer working capital loans for that first year to get the cash flow break even. So if we all know how to get that person to cash flow break even, a lot of the banks are willing to offer working capital to help get the cash flow break even. If I have a good business plan, I have a good pro forma, and I have a good brand, guess what happens? You go cash flow break even. So, you know, it's interesting that when you look at our industry franchising, you have great firms, and I'm not, I'm not, you know, it's not a paid endorsement. And we have financial institutions out there. We have franchisors and franchisees that really have all the pieces. So what we see is really assembling those pieces so that we can tell a cogent story to get a franchisee to cash flow break even and really to get them to where they want to get to, whatever that may be, one, five, or 50. But really, you know, when you step back, it's, it's all really there. You guys have, franchisors have playbooks. They have training systems. They have field consultants. They know the brand. Banks have a process. Attorneys understand the FDD and how to incorporate. Right, it's an LP, LLC, subchapter, S, C Corp. It's all there, but it just has to be assembled, and then it has to be understood. It needs to be understood by all parties. And who's going to do that for that new franchisee who's never written a business plan before, who's going, uh, right? That's the trick, all right? Now, there's, there, there is a, um, a thought out there. I'm not saying this is the answer, but there's a, a template out there called the one-page business plan. Okay, even something as simple as that will get a franchisee down the path pretty significantly with people, right? That's what the franchisor should figure out how to help. Is that the area developer helping them do that? The franchisor helping them do that? Well, you know, I, as a lawyer, I've heard, you know, people get so hung up on what you can and can't disclose pre-sale that sometimes that bias follows through after they've signed the franchise agreement. I've had many startup franchisors say, well, wait, I can't tell them how much money they're gonna make. You're right. One, until they sign a franchise agreement, but now they actually just paid you $35,000 for that information. Now you, you have to now get into that. So, so you know, sometimes people get caught and they forget that they're supposed to be the coach. So there's also a second step to that. How many franchisors are in here that require a business plan when they get started? How many franchisees had to do a business plan when they got started? Now, what happened with that business plan? After you, d you wrote it all up, you spent ton tons of hours on it, what happened to it? Has, has your franchisor come to you and said, let's go over your business plan you submitted when you signed? So that's the big component of this is, the business plan is great, it sets tons of metrics, everybody you know, aims for the stars, who holds them accountable to it after that? It's their business plan. It's not my business plan, it's their business plan. And to, to your point, Matt, is it, when you start to go through, when you sit down with that franchisee who's struggling or not following the plan, it's an accountability component. Sit down and talk about it. What, what changed since the day you signed to month six? Is there something in here that's inherently wrong? There's something you didn't expect? You have to dust it off every once in a while. A franchisee put a lot of time and effort into it, hopefully. So you review it the first time, but you keep your field team or somebody in your operations group needs to go back to that plan and see how are they tracking to it. It doesn't have to be a stagnant forever plan, but you can make adjustments, you can tweak it, you can make changes that help them stay engaged and help them stay on track. To just leave it there and, and never go back to it, as a franchisor, in my opinion, it kills your credibility. Because you just said, I just wanted this to make you do some work to see if your brain worked properly. It's yeah. <laughs> one of the things that I, one things I coach for sure is a 90-day GOSPA against your business plan. Goals, objective, strategy, and plans in action. That if you don't have one every 90 days at a minimum to run your business according to your business plan, things go all kilter very quickly, very quickly. All of a sudden, the shiny new 
object comes by and has a trout that we all are. Wow, we go there. <laughs> Just had a coaching conversation today with, with that. Hey, this person came to me and they want me to blah, 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 blah. And I'm just smiling, letting her have her conversation for 30 minutes. I mean, I said, okay, let's figure out how that fits into our plan. Well, it doesn't. You said it doesn't. I didn't. You did. So why are, you, why, why are we going there? Do you want to change this? That's so cool. Let's change the plan then, right? You're 100% spot oh, on. And I, th and I think so, so much of it, too. We were talking so much about going from a, business, from a job to a business owner, right? So if majority of your business plan and your focus is to keep your franchisor happy and your bank happy, <laughs> it's the same thing as having a job again. Yep. You're just working for another, a different <laughs> boss who can take a lot of other stuff away from you if you decide not to pay. So having that transition of, you know, this is my plan. I'm working for myself to get to yep. this point. I'm holding myself accountable to a business plan so that I can pay my bank and get out of that relationship or move on to another relationship to do more with them so I can get the, make the franchisor happy because they're getting their royalty every month. But having that commitment to yourself as an owner that, listen, this is my plan. I'm going to execute this plan versus having somebody else be the primary driver of your business. And you should look for someone to mentor you, guide you, and quite honestly, hold you accountable. Mm -hmm. Whoever that is, your wife, your whatever. Go ahead, Gary. Last question, and then we'll uh, and then we'll close. More on the franchisor side. I'd like your thoughts on some of the folks I deal with on the franchisor side. They don't have a business plan. They don't have a strategic development plan, and they're not looking at how they transition from being the owner operator of their little widget shop into becoming the franchisor. Can you speak about that a little bit? No, I think I think you're dead on. I th you know, when you look at early stage franchisors, they typically have kind of their DNA, right? Is their DNA is the operator? Is their DNA their marketing folks, right? And when you engage these early stage franchisors, it's almost the same dialogue as with the franchisees. There's something I always look for when I talk to CEOs of emerging companies. And it's, it's difficult to really translate, so I'm gonna apologize in advance, but maybe you can help me flush it out. I look for a, fran I look for a CEO of a franchisor, emerging business, that starts to realize that what they created is bigger than them. And when that transition happens to a business from an owner and a CEO, that's when you know as a PE guy or a bank or whatever you know, your role, that they get it. When they realize that what they created is bigger than them. And that's when they become coachable. So at that moment, you can start to instill those functional misses. But until that happens, it's really, really difficult. So that's just what that's what we use to evaluate our strategies in engaging early stage companies. Excellent. So we're going to keep this to uh, to two o'clock. And by the way, you know, after we uh, after we break, we have this room for another hour. So continue to network and you know somebody that you want to talk to. So I always close this by the last question, saying, you know, if the audience left here with one idea, one thought, one kind of cap that they would really think, um, we'll, we'll start down the end. Um, what, what would you say it is? I think it really comes down to, you know, it's, it sounds simple, but it's honesty, integrity from both sides. So franchisor have being honest and having the integrity to live up to their end of the bargain and also to help direct and help grow a franchisee to potentially more than what they even see themselves doing over time and hold them to a higher standard. Excellent. Mark? I would challenge franchisor and franchisee to understand it's a business first and franchise second, and operate it that way, run it that way, and drive it that way? Uh, for me, it would be uh, authenticity. And are we selling franchisees? Or are they buying franchisees? Or is it something really different? Excellent. Well, Todd, Mark, Don, thank you guys. Thank you.